Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Due to unforeseen technical difficulties, the beginning portion of our service was not recorded this week. For context or further consideration, please see a link to our sermon notes in the description below. Now let's pick up with Pastor Andy with our sermon already in progress. Is that God desires for God's people to be free. But what is that freedom and what does it look like? I submit to you this morning that the scriptures point us to the fact that God desires for God's people to be both free from and free for or free to. At multiple points in John's gospel, in which we've kind of been keying off of during our series, uh, he points out that the events of Jesus' life are taking place during Passover. Now, this is really, really important. Anytime you're reading the, the, the letters of Paul or the gospel stories, and they try to create a context, they place the story in a particular time, a particular place, that's really, really important. Key, on, key in on those details, because that's pointing us to the theological truth that is seeking to be communicated in the gospels. And so the Gospel of John regularly will say and place stories or events in Jesus' life in the time frame of the Passover. This happened at Passover, he will say, over and over again throughout the Gospel. Now, Passover was and is a Jewish celebration, a festival that commemorates and celebrates God's release of Israel from slavery in Egypt. You can read this whole story in the biblical book called Exodus. And Passover is a day of freedom, it's a, it's a day of national identity, where, the, where quite literally the nation of Israel gained a, an identity as a people because of the Passover. It's a celebration of release from captivity and oppression. It's a day of recognition of the character of God, that, that through the Passover events, the people of Israel came to know that God is faithful, that God hears the cries of the oppressed, that God works to release the captive. And so this festival in which the events of the Exodus are rehearsed and symbolized through liturgy and meal, etched into the minds of the worshipers that because of the covenant faithfulness of God, Israel is a free people. Are you with me? Amen. Okay, there we go. Thank you, Jay, in the front row. Good job. Now, by placing these events of Jesus' life at the Passover, or the events of the passion of Jesus at Passover, John, the gospel writer, is framing the work of Jesus according to the Passover. That is, John wants us to understand the work of Christ through a kind of Passover kind of lens, which means he wants us to be asking a certain kind of questions as we come to the work of Christ, okay? I'm giving us a big, broad sweep, and then I'm going to get to a particular passage, I promise, right? Okay, so John wants us to understand the work of Christ through a Passover lens and ask a particular set of questions, like, for example, what kind of freedom is Christ now offering? If Passover is a, is a freedom kind of event, and John places the events of Jesus' passion at Passover, then that ought to lead us to the question, what kind of freedom is Christ now offering? 
It should lead us to the kind of question of this. How is Jesus embodying the covenant faithfulness of God? If Passover is this, this, this certainty, this assurance of the character of God, that God is a covenantly faithful God, then how does Jesus embody that covenant faithfulness? Or this other question, what, in what ways is the ministry of Christ reflecting God's heart for the imprisoned and the oppressed? Right? If Passover is about this release from oppression, slavery, then how does the ministry of Christ reflect God's heart for those who are oppressed? Reflecting. There's an echo in the room. I want to, this seems like the best time uh, to give us a quote from N.T. Wright. Okay, so N.T. Wright says this, quote, What Jesus did in going to the cross and what the Father was declaring when he raised him from the dead was a Passover-shaped message. The news that true freedom was being won at last, that the great Pharaoh has been overthrown, and that now it was time for the true tabernacle to be built, for the true Torah to be kept, and for the ultimate inheritance to be claimed. Amen. All right. So the fact that John frames the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus according to the Passover shows us, first of all, that God is committed to freeing people from, right? We're talking about freedom from and freedom for. God is committed to freeing people from oppressive systems and rulers. Don't gloss over that. That God has a heart for the oppressed. That God cares about those who are under this thumb of oppression. Um, God has compassion for those who are oppressed. God desires that anyone living under oppression to be freed. And so I would simply submit to you today that based on the fact that, God, that, that John, the gospel writer, is placing the events of Jesus' life and death at Passover, points us to the fact that it is the task and responsibility of the people of God to listen carefully to the voices of the oppressed, to seek to hear and understand so that we can work to release them from oppression. Amen? Now, this is no small task, and this has a lot of nuance, and there's a lot of points of discussion or debate or dialogue, uh, but God's heart toward those who are oppressed and not free is one of compassion and one of listening, and one of care. And so we need to grab a hold of that, right? And, and so for, um, for a lot of time, maybe the church has kind of glossed over that, maybe hasn't paid a lot of attention to that. And sometimes the pendulum swings, right? So we talk only about kind of like personal oppression, um, maybe freedom from sin or addiction or those kinds of things. And that's all we talk about, and we miss sort of the systemic stuff. And so we swing the pendulum over here, and we talk about all the systemic stuff. Um, and then we might ignore this, and so this is why it's really important, because what we see in our passage this morning is that God cares about both. That God cares about both. And so um, we should not be overshadowed the fact that God is concerned about our personal freedom as well. And this is where I want to look at our passage of Scripture this morning. It's found in John chapter 8. I want to begin reading with verse 31. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. I'm going to read through 36. Um, and we'll see what the Lord can say to us through the scriptures today. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, says this, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, 
then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now they answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. So what do you mean by saying that you will be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household, but the son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus utters some of his most famous words, the truth will set you free. Now, what's really interesting, I think, and what what was really glaring to me about this passage is that right after that, uh, the Judeans listening scoff back at the notion that they are not already free or have ever been enslaved. They, they mark themselves as belonging to the people of Abraham. And if we know our story, we recognize that this is, that their claim that they have never been enslaved is blatantly false, right? That they are living in their, with an alternative set of facts. <laughs> that, that they are simply, this, it's just not true. Because we know this is crazy. The nation of Israel had been enslaved by Egypt. They were later taken into exile. And they are now living under Roman occupation, In fact, the whole story of the people of Israel is a story about the promise of a coming freedom in the face of oppression. The whole anticipation of the Messiah is one who will come and free them from under the thumb of Rome. Like this is all, their whole story is about freedom and the the prospect, the promise of freedom. And so it's really, really interesting that they mark that, well, who are you to say that that we even need freedom, that we aren't free already? Can I be honest with you? I don't really exactly know what to make of this, except maybe one thing. And that one thing is this. Sometimes we can convince ourselves that we are free, and clearly we are not. Sometimes we can put our own blinders over our eyes and live under a mirage of freedom when actually we are quite enslaved. And it might take a third party, it might take someone who loves us being honest and saying, hey, I'm noticing this, and and kind of pointing it out. It might be the work of the Holy Spirit just freely moving in our lives to help us to recognize the ways in which we are not free. But I think just the reality stands that there is this truth that we can live under a mirage of freedom in our lives. Jesus, however, in his brilliance, kind of sidesteps this whole thing, right? He doesn't want to take the time to try to explain, in fact, okay, this is what's going on. But rather, he gets right to the point. And he shows them that, in fact, he will be, bring freedom, but in a way that they don't expect. And that he will bring freedom from a different kind of Pharaoh. He will release them from a different kind of captivity uh, that is not Babylonian. And he will release them from the oppression that is not Roman. In other words, Jesus offers freedom from slavery that they didn't know that they had. And we get right to the point in verse 34. Look at it again with me. It says, every, Jesus says this, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And with this, what Jesus does is he redefines slavery as a disease of the heart. Now, this is what Christians love to do 
and to focus on when we're not comfortable talking about the sorts of systemic oppression that happens, right? And we say we want to just immediately make everything a matter of the heart. But we've already learned that by placing it at Passover, Jesus is, is demonstrating for us that God has compassion for those who are actually physically oppressed and in slavery. Amen. Right? That God has a heart for compassion for those who are living in real systems of oppression. But there's also this reality in which Jesus says, you know what? There's, a, there's maybe a in, more invisible kind of slavery that you also need to be freed from. It's not an either or. It's not a this one over that one. It's a both and that, Jesus, that God desires to set us free from. And so Jesus redefines slavery as a disease of the heart. He is challenging them and us to realize there's a deeper kind of slavery within us that gives us a propensity toward going down the wrong path. There's a disease that tempts us to see that which is bad as good, that which is unhealthy as healthy. And in line with the Apostle Paul, Jesus seems to identify sin as a power that lives inside of us from which we need to be rescued and over which we need to have victory. Amen. So, Jesus is saying you are a slave to this thing called sin. Now, quick side note here to make sure our theology is still good. Now, making sure, like, so let's, let's do a little side here. Recognizing and admitting the power of sin in our lives is not the same as saying that we are all but nothing sinful inside, right? Our story begins in Genesis 1, which says that we bear the image of God and are very good. And then Genesis 3, where sin enters the story, is a very real part of the story and a very real part of our lives and cannot be ignored. Your life has an enemy because the story has an enemy, right? Their sin is a very real impact on our lives and in our world. So we can't ignore sin and just pretend like it didn't happen, but we can't start the story in Genesis 3. We've got to start the story in Genesis 1 which says that everybody bears the image of God. So let me say it this way. This means that every person, no matter how bad, bears the image of God and has intrinsic value and the provenient grace of God at work in their lives. And every person, no matter how good, still needs victory over the reign of sin in their lives. Amen. Right? So let's make sure that our theology is still good as we're talking about the power of sin in our lives. So Jesus says there is a disease of the heart from which you need victory and from which you need empowerment over. And his promise is that those who place their faith or that is their trust in him will in fact be freed from this power of sin in their hearts. They will be set free from the reign of sin and idolatry. And so how does this work? And how is this possible? Well, Jesus as the truly free human being, has released us from the power of sin by defeating the power of sin that came down to bear, that came to bear on him at the cross. Jesus became victim to the sinfulness of humanity who, through their own free acts, ended up acu falsely accusing and scapegoating the Son of God. So sin did its worst to Jesus, and it killed him. But then Jesus overcame death through resurrection, 
thereby defeating the power of sin. So Jesus, as the true human, truly free human being, the representative human being who is both fully God and fully human, be, is the one in the right place to sort of live as our advocate before God, to take on sin and then defeat it through resurrection. So that then those who place their faith in Jesus and in the person of Christ and put their trust in the truths revealed on the cross will be free from what John Wesley calls reigning sin. Reigning sin. And so it's close to God's heart as we look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to set people who are in tangible oppression free. That God has compassion, God desires for those people to be free. But it's also true through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we see that, that there is a more invisible kind of slavery from which we need to be freed. The slavery of the heart, the slavery of sin for which Jesus did the work on the cross to set us free from those things. And so you are free as a person of God today. You are free from the power of sin and idolatry in your life. Amen? Now, sometimes this isn't true to our own experience, right? We say, well, this is true in principle, but yet I find myself still enslaved by all these kinds of things and struggling and all of that. And, and welcome to life. Welcome to discipleship. Welcome to the journey of learning to live according to the, the truth of the Scriptures. Uh, that when we place our faith in Jesus, this is made true of us in principle. Now we need to work it out um, so that we are more and more freed as we go along. And some of this comes with knowledge from the brain and the heart, right? From, from the work of the brain. Some of it comes from the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Some of it comes through the influence of community. And it can't, it can't take any one of those things in isolation to another. You can't make it all about the head and not the heart. You've got to have the head and the heart and other people. And God kind of uses all of those sorts of things to form us so that in practice, we become the people we are in principle. Are you with me? Okay, and it's a lifelong journey. Uh, so if you are here today and you're thinking, I'm just not there yet, congratulations, none of us are, <laughs> right? And we can have measures of victory and we can have these moments, these watershed moments where God does something really unique and powerful and special in our lives, but that doesn't mean it's the end of the work. We simply just continue to, to go along the path of being more and more formed into the likeness of Christ. Freedom from. We're free from the power of sin in our lives so that we can be free for or free to something. Uh, Jesus was truly free. He was free from sin. He was free from idolatry. He was free to act however he chose. And what we see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus continually offers this freedom back in service to others. In other words... Christ-centered freedom is not a freedom centered on self, but a freedom oriented toward others. The greatest demonstration of love is when Jesus willingly took on the scorn of the cross so that we might be free. So I submit to you this morning that any freedom that can be called Christian freedom is a freedom for the purpose of love, is a freedom toward love. 
that when we love, we are not only free, we are not only free, but we also offer freedom to those that we love well. Let me say that again. When we are free to love or for the purpose of love, so that when we love, we are not only free, but we offer freedom to those that we love well. Let's listen to N.T. Wright again. Um, and I wish you could listen because his voice is just as smooth as butter with an English accent. So it's just like if you've not ever heard N.T. Wright talk, you should find a recording. So maybe I'll do that one day. We'll, we'll do an N.T. Wright quote with him saying it. Uh, he says this, something about love, anyone's love, creates a kind of freedom, a new space, a larger world. Pretty powerful. And so as we have been so perfectly loved by the Creator, we are then invited to be agents of freedom in the world. We are called to work for freedom from oppression. We are called to proclaim the freedom from sin that is available through Christ. And we are invited to embody the freedom to love. Let me say that again. We, as we have been so perfectly loved by the Creator, we are called to then be ambassadors for freedom in the world. First, for freedom from oppression. For those who are actually physically, tangibly oppressed and under the thumb of oppression, we as the people of God can do what we can to work and advocate for their freedom. We are then, to call, we are then called to proclaim the reality and the possibility of freedom from sin through Christ. Amen. Right? And then we are called also to embody the freedom to love well. To love of neighbor, love of family, love of friends. And the call of Jesus is even to love of enemy and love of the oppressed. It's radical. But this is what we are invited into, a larger space, a larger world. When we fail to love, the world gets really like smaller and smaller. But when we love well, the world gets bigger and bigger. Do you know what I mean by that? And so let me submit this to you. As we think about just the interplay of freedom and what is freedom and, and how are we as the people of God to think about it, I submit this. We are called to see that Christian freedom is not so much centered on the freedom of personal choice or rights, but the freedom to love others well. And that often comes at personal sacrifice. Just like the jazz musician who practices with great discipline so they can play freely, but always lands in the right key at the right time. And so church, may we know that our inclination toward freedom has always been correct and has always been God-given. But may we be sure to define our freedom according to the example of Christ and to the freedom that is offered in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray toward that end. God of all wisdom and God who has made us free. We have been so utterly challenged over the last 
few months in terms of what it means to live freely as a people, as a nation, as Christians. It's caused a lot of division. It continues to do so. And the truth is, God, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of things to be considered and very important and valid perspectives. But I pray, God, that as the people of God, as, the, as those who have placed our faith in Jesus, I pray that you would just help us to center our concept of freedom that is shown to us in the person of Christ. To center our concepts of freedom according to the cross of Christ. And we, we all certainly have political influences and, and leanings and those voices are important and those commitments are even important. But may we as the people of God not be primarily informed by those conversations and ideologies on the left or right of the political aisle, but may we be centered on what does freedom look like in the person of Jesus? And, and maybe we might still come to different conclusions, but may our heart and our posture be one of wanting to embody the goodness of Christ. May our, our concepts of freedom not just be centered on what do I have and what do I possess, but what is this freedom for? To what end, to what goal does this freedom lead me toward? So God, help us as we dialogue, as we discuss, as we think, as we discern. Um, and inform our minds, illuminate our hearts. And may we faithfully be in relationship with people who can help to sharpen us who maybe don't see things exactly like we do. Help us to avoid the temptation to get lost in echo chambers. Especially, Lord, we pray that you would meet us now as we gather around your table. Recognizing, God, that calling our minds and our attention toward the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ each week through the sacrament of communion is itself a very tangible way of inviting the work of your Holy Spirit into our lives and into our hearts. In many ways, it is in fact a response to the proclamation of your word. That having heard a word about God from the scriptures, we then set aside time to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us. And so God, we pray that in your covenant faithfulness that you would be faithful to do just that. That you would speak to our hearts through the, through the communion and through these other acts of worship that we participate in. 
And so, Lord, be with us now as we give our attention to your table. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.